Well, folks, we want to uh, just continue just a very simple uh, time tonight of talking about basics and some of what we will speak of tonight. Uh, you've, you've heard me teach on lessons in prayer in the past, and so some of this will be review for you, but uh, for others it'll be new material. But uh, I want to ask you to take your Bibles out tonight and turn, first of all, to the book of 1 John. And then after 1 John, I'll ask you to find Habakkuk. That's one you don't hear much of. And then we'll also be in Matthew chapter 6 and Acts chapter 4. Now, don't worry, I'll mention all of those again, okay? But I want to ask you just to listen up a minute to uh, what S.D. Gordon and J. Oswald Sanders had to say about prayer. S.D. Gordon said, The great people of the earth today are the people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, not those who can explain about prayer, but I mean those people who take time to pray. They have not time. It must be taken from something else. This something else is important, very important and pressing, but still less important and less pressing than prayer. And then J. Oswald Sanders said, The Spirit links himself with us in our praying and pours his supplication into our own. He went on to say, we may master the technique of prayer and understand its philosophy. We may have unlimited confidence in the veracity and validity of the promises concerning prayer. We may plead them earnestly, but if we ignore the part played by the Holy Spirit, we have failed to use the master key. Aren't you glad, as Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that when we feel weak in our prayer, weak to the point that we don't even know what we ought to be praying for, but we cry out, help to God, and and just unload our heart on Him, at times like that, he says, the Spirit makes intercession for us according to the will of God. Amen? So we have help in prayer, don't we? The Holy Spirit's help. And the Bible also says that Jesus Christ is our advocate at the right hand of God. So we have the the role of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and of the Lord Jesus helping us in our prayer time when we feel particularly weak. We've just come through three weeks of studying about the Bible and how to be more effective in our Bible reading and study. And after that, I wanted to jump into prayer because prayer and Bible study ought to go together. Like breathing, inhaling and exhaling. Inhaling the Word of God, instruction from God, and exhaling making our concerns known to God. 
So the two ought to go together. Somebody once said, prayer without Bible study is like heat without light. But Bible study without prayer is like light without heat. Again, Bible study and prayer ought to go together. Now, listen to the following numbers. In a 1992 Newsweek Newsweek cover story entitled, Talking to God, a Gallup poll reported that 91% of women and 85% of men say that they pray on a regular basis. 57% of Americans say they pray at least one time a day. 32% of those praying said that it it gives them a deep sense of peace. 26% said that they actually sense the presence of God in their praying. But unfortunately, it went on to say that only 15% feel like they regularly receive answers to their prayers. Seems like there's a disconnect going on, right? People are praying but they don't sense that they're making that connection to God. told you some time ago a story that Dr. James Merritt, one of our former Southern Baptist uh, president uh, preachers, told on one occasion. Uh, A story about a Sunday school class uh, of children they adopted as a project to write letters to foreign missionaries. And the Sunday school teacher said, now boys and girls, I want you to understand something. We're writing these letters to these foreign missionaries, but every one of them is not going to have time to answer everybody in the classroom. They're they're just simply not going to have time to answer all these letters. And so you can imagine the surprise of one missionary when he received his letter from the children. It said, Dr. Reverend Smith. Dr. Reverend, don't you love that? Dr. Reverend Smith, we're praying for you, but don't worry, we're not expecting an answer. (laughs) Well, God's told us to pray and to expect answers. Jesus said, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, right? God works in and through the prayers of his people. R.A. Torrey once said, Prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is and all that God has is at the disposal of prayer, but we must use the key. We've got to go to God in prayer. Well, tonight I want us to look at some of the promises and some of the principles and instructions in the Word of God that have to do with prayer. First thing I want you to notice tonight, turn with me to 1 John chapter 5 and let's talk about promises in our praying. 1 John chapter 5 and read with me verse 14 and 15. Listen to what John says. And this is the confidence, I want you to underscore that word confidence, this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. 
Well, how does he say we need to approach God? In confidence. The word literally means freedom of speech. Now, in the Greek, it was a political term, and it referred to the freedom to speak your mind in an open assembly. To get up in an open assembly and just freely state what was on your heart. That's what the word meant in its original context. And so the prayer that connects with God is first of all confident. Confident, he says, that God will hear. That's the first confidence we ought to have. Eloquence is not the key, but confidence. Confidence that as children of God, we can go before God in prayer. Now, what is our access to God based on? Is it based on, hey, you're a nice guy or I'm a nice guy or you try to live a good life or I try to live a good life? Is that the foundation of our confidence? No. What's the foundation? Jesus' death. Burial and resurrection for us. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, uh, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And not only peace with God, but access into His presence. But it's being justified by faith in Christ. You see, this access we have to God is based on the finished work of Christ finished work of Christ. Look over at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Again, tonight, just basic stuff, okay? Simple stuff. Uh, Stop me if you have a question, okay? Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 16. He says in, in, in verse 16, he says, let us then... With confidence, there's that word again, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, how can we be so bold? How can we have such confidence? Well, look back at verses uh, 13 and 14. He says there, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And so he's talking about privileges that we have as children of God who have been justified in the sight of God because of Christ's finished work. Again, I I want you to understand that is the foundation of our prayer life. And the confidence and the boldness that we can have in our prayer life. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because it is only through Him that we have peace with God. That we've been reconciled with God. And a heavenly transaction has occurred where we are no longer at enmity with God, but we have been adopted into God's family and cry out, Abba, Father. Based on that relationship that we have with Christ because of His finished work, 
We can go before God in the name of Jesus Christ and the Bible tells us that we can have every confidence that God hears. Again, don't ever be guilty of, and if you ever hear anybody say it, stop. If they say, you know what, I think I, I try to live a good life, I think God will listen to me when I pray. No, 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 no. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none who's good, not even one. The approach we have to the throne of grace is because of Jesus Christ. Amen? And understand that. Understand that clearly. Folks, when we talk to God, it's not like a citizen talking to their mayor or governor or president, but it's like a child talking to his father. Amen? We go to God on the basis of this child and father relationship. If you go back to 1 John chapter 5 and you look at the second part of verse 14, he says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We see, we see the commitment here that not only do I go before God with a confidence, but a commitment that I must be asking how? According to the will of God. I went to college with a young man, I kid you not, he honestly did not understand why God was not giving him a brand new shiny red Corvette. I'm serious. He wanted a Corvette, shiny new Corvette. And he was praying and asking for a Corvette. And wasn't getting it. Is God not hearing me? What's going on? Well, this verse says something about that, right? And I'll talk more about that in a minute. But, but we've got to be praying how? In the will of God. In the will of God. Desire the will of God. Folks, the purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. People look at the will of God being so limiting. It's not limiting, it's liberating. If there's one thing a believer should never be afraid of, it's the will of God. Most of us have been there. I can remember growing up. Probably a year or two before God called me into the ministry, I was so scared of really relinquishing everything over to God. Because I was afraid if I did, He might do something like call me to preach. <laughs> I'm serious. God might call me to preach or something. I can remember sitting in Oakhurst Baptist Church back in the corner where the, where the youth sat and looking up there at the preacher one day and saying, man, I could never do that. I remember that day just like it is yesterday. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> 
We don't ever have to be afraid of the will of God. It's liberating. The happiest and safest place to be is in the will of God. We need to try to discern the will of God. And how do we discern the will of God? Through the Word of God. Again, here is where prayer and Bible study go so so much hand in hand. Don't wait until you get in a crisis to all of a sudden try to develop a prayer life. Develop the relationship with God, studying the Word of God, getting to know the mind and heart of God over weeks and months and years. And the more you get to know the mind and the heart of God through the Scripture, the easier it is over time to discern the will of God and know what we ought to be praying for when we pray, right? Some people know nothing about the Word of God they they're just they they've never grown up any in their faith they they're just babes in Christ never have really sought to go much further than that and they get in a crisis and they all of a sudden don't know how to pray or what to do but those who have been in the word and coming to know the heart and the mind of God over time through his word are better able to discern the will of God. And then when we pray, we need to be praying in the will of God. And John says we can have every confidence when we do that, that he hears. We also need to be committed to doing the will. If we're praying in the will of God, we need to be committed to doing the will of God. You know what James says about that? In James chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Some people say, what, as I, as I go before God, you mean I, I, I can't ever have any doubts about anything? And that's not what these verses are saying. It, it's the person who says, okay, I'm going to lay out my need before God. Here's what I'd like to do. God, I'd like to hear from you what I ought to do. And when you let me know what you want me to do, I'll weigh what you want me to do against what I want to do, and I'll try to determine then which direction I'm going to go. And James says, "Uh uh-uh, it's not going to work that way. If you're really trying to pray in the will of God, for the will of God, discerning the will of God, there's got to be a surrender to it. God, show me your heart your will, your direction, and by your grace, I'll do it. And James says in that case, God gives liberally and without finding fault. 
were not to be like the hobo who just crisscrossed all over the country. And a friend said to him, when you come to a fork in the road, how in the world do you decide which way to go? The hobo said, that's easy. I carry this stick with me. I throw it up in the air. Then I watch to see which way it points when it lands. And I simply go the way that it points. And then he said, you know, sometimes I have to throw that stick up a half a dozen times before it points the direction I want it to. There are people like that with the will of God. They've already made up their mind what they want to do. And they want God to fit into that rather than going to God with surrender and being committed to doing what He shows you. Well, in verse 15, uh, John also talks here about conviction. Conviction. He says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. He uses that word know twice. Twice. What is it we know? God will hear our prayers. Again, when we go before him, based on the finished work of Christ, in full confidence... Resting in Christ, the justification we have before God because of Jesus Christ and surrendered to do the will of God, we can know God hears our prayers. We know the connection is being made. That your prayers aren't going up, hitting the ceiling, and bouncing back down. Sometimes we pray like God doesn't hear, don't we? God, it's me, Scott Davis, you know, down here in Concord, North Carolina. And we yell and we think maybe that's why God hears. No. Bible says God even knows the intent of your heart. The intent of your heart. He knows your thoughts, the very intent and motives of your heart. Another conviction we have here is we know God will grant our request. He says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. That's another no that we have here, that God will answer. Now, God may delay. It may not be in his timing. He may say wait. He may say no. Is no an answer? No's an answer. Some people say God hasn't answered my prayer. Yeah, he has. He just told you no. Or he may say yes. But what he's talking about here is, is this promise that we have when we go before God. This confidence That when we go before God the way he's instructing us here, we're not just simply praying into a dark room hoping that somebody out there hears. We can know that God hears. As Christians, we can know that we can have a relationship with God where we go before him And we cast all of our care upon him knowing that he cares for us. 
God is not the God of the deist who just, the deist believe God just sort of wound everything up. He just wound everything up, the universe up, created it, wound it up, set it on a shelf, walked away from it, never to intervene. The clockmaker type idea. Is that the God we have? That he created this closed system that he wound up and just simply put natural laws in place, set our lives, the universe, everything on a shelf, walked away, and he never intervenes into that closed system? Is that what the scripture teaches? No. No. We have confidence when we pray. Now, turn over to Habakkuk. Five books, find Malachi, Matthew, and then back to Malachi, and then five books back from the end of the Old Testament, Habakkuk. I want to talk about problems in our praying. First of all, there's the promises, the confidence that we can have that God hears and God answers. Now, how about some problems in our praying? Look at Habakkuk. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? What's Habakkuk feeling like there? How's he feeling? Deserted. Like he is just praying in a dark room to nothing. God, I cry out to you. I pray and I pray and pray. Why are you not intervening? Why are you not doing something? Where are you? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever gone through something in your life? God, where are you? Where are you? I think all of us have surely felt that at some time or another. Folks, we need to realize some things here. When we feel that way, sometimes a number of reasons why we may not get the answer to our prayer that we, we desire is we need to understand that there might be something else in the plan of God. Something else in the plan of God. You know, most of us believe that the Bible depicts only the spiritual successes of men and women who were so in tune with God that their prayers were always answered. And we think all the saints of God were just success stories. Is that what we find? No. But you know, we, 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 we read things like Abraham's servant. He prayed for God's direction in the finding of a wife for Isaac. Uh, and it appears that even before the words were out of his mouth, there was Rebecca. There was Moses at the Red Sea, prayed for God's deliverance. Bef- uh, Before he hardly even had his hands raised up, the waters of the sea parted. Exodus 14, 15. Then Gideon, the fleece. It was dry and then wet. 
and wet and then dry and God answered that. There's Hannah praying for a son and God granted her that son. 1 Samuel 1. Elijah at Mount Carmel prayed for fire to fall and the fire fell. We think, man, everybody in the Bible, success stories, they prayed and things happened. But if you look deeper, you'll discover that wasn't always the case at all. At times, the, the biblical writers and, and the saints we read about there, the stories that were told of their lives, oftentimes they got very, very, very discouraged. Moses cried out to God to be able to enter into the promised land, but he died instead on Nebo's peak and his request was refused. Deuteronomy 34. Now think about that. Here's a guy... He put up with all those stiff-necked people. Went to Pharaoh, put up with all that before Pharaoh, led the children of Israel out. And they grumbled and complained, why did you bring us out here? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? And I mean, that's the kind of people he led in the wilderness. And then he didn't even get to enter the promised land. Almost could seem unfair, couldn't it? He didn't get to enter the promised land. Paul prayed three times for that thorn in the flesh to be removed. It wasn't removed. Jesus prayed in the garden, if there was some other way, let this cup pass from me. cup didn't pass from him. Now you dig into those three cases further. Look at Moses. Why was Moses refused to allow? Uh, why was he refused to uh, uh, be be allowed entry into the promised land? Again, talking about what well, I'm talking about things here is in our prayers when they're not answered the way we think they ought to be answered. We need to understand one of the reasons might be there's something else, something bigger in the plan of God, something behind the scenes God's doing that we don't understand at the moment. Okay. Moses wasn't allowed to enter because of disobedience. He struck the rock in anger, brought forth water, but it was done in disobedience. And it brought attention to Moses. Now folks, although the people's immediate needs were met, this act of disobedience would leave a deep scar on the life of the nation if it wasn't dealt with. They had to be taught the importance of obedience in such a way that they would never, ever forget. And how God dealt with Moses, what would that teach Israel for all generations to come? One thing it would teach them, is that obedience matters. Obedience matters. You can just imagine the conversation inside of every Hebrew's tent and home for centuries to come. A conversation between parents and their children. And a son asked a dad about something. He says, son, Moses was a, a great man of God, but even with the great men and women of God, obedience is still important. It still matters. 
You see, the children would think Pharaoh's armies were judged by God just because they were a bunch of pagans anyway. But Moses' life would show that obedience matters for everybody. Maybe that's just one of the reasons why. There was a bigger lesson to teach. How about Paul? He says in 2 Corinthians, he had been to the third heaven. First heaven where the birds fly. Second heaven where the stars and the moon and the sun is. The third heaven, the dwelling place of God. And he said, lest I be puffed up beyond measure, God sent me a thorn in the flesh. Through that thorn in the flesh. And the word in the Greek text is not just a little thorn you think about getting off of a little rose bush, but it's, it's the word that means a stake, a large stake being driven in, something agonizing and painful. Lest I be lifted up and exalted in my own mind, God sent me a stake to keep me riveted or nailed to the ground very picturesque in the original language lest I be lifted up God sent a stake to keep me riveted into the dirt of this earth and he prayed three times for God to take it away and what was the lesson that he finally learned God said no you're going to learn to depend on me and my grace is sufficient. Exactly. Something larger in the plan of God. We need to understand when we don't get the answers the way we want them, there could be something else at work that we just don't see at the time. You may not see it for years and years. You may not ever see it on the face of this earth. Not till you get to heaven and understand. Maybe something larger at work there. Another reason why would be what? Selfishness. Look over at James. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, look at verse 3. James says, you ask, well, first of all, he says a problem you have at the end of verse 2. Some of you just aren't even asking. Some of you just aren't even praying. But then he goes on in verse 3 to say, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Sometimes prayers aren't answered because of selfishness. We ask for selfish things. Folks, that's one thing that ought to be a lesson to us when we go before God and pray in Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' name ought to be what kind of a reminder to us.
Say that louder. Yes. Can I really be attaching the name of Jesus to this petition? I'm attaching his name to this. Is this something I can honestly go before God in Jesus' name about? Pray, praying in the name of Jesus ought to be a reminder to help us keep the right focus in our prayers. John 14, 13 suggests that the object of prayer is that God might be glorified. That God might be glorified. Many times prayer is used kind of like a lat, uh, the old stories of Aladdin's lamp. We use prayer like that just to try to get things from God that we want in our flesh. And Jesus said prayer needs to, our petitions in some way or another, need to advance the glory of God. Doesn't mean that we don't pray for ourselves, but simply it means that our praying is not intended just for our own personal comfort. Another reason prayer may not be answered, turn back to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59. This is a third reason our prayers may go unanswered. Isaiah 59 verse 1, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What was the reason he said God wasn't hearing? Their iniquities. Was God's arm too short? No. Was God hard of hearing? No. What was the problem? Their sin. What did David say in Psalm 66? If I regard, finish that, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Sin that it hasn't been dealt with in your life and my life. If we want a meaningful, personal, and powerful prayer life, We've got to deal with those things in our lives that we know are not honoring to God or pleasing to Him. We can't have secret closets and rooms and little pet sins. We need to be clean before God. If we're not clean before God, if we're praying and not Sensing that we have any type of answers to our prayers. That's something we need to evaluate. Is my heart clean before God? Is there transgression that I have not dealt with? Maybe God's trying to get my attention through seemingly unanswered prayers. Then Jesus also talked about still another reason. It's 
spitefulness. Over in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, he said there, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Sometimes Christians live with sin in their relationships with other people. And they wonder why their prayer life seems so dead. Remember what Peter said about this to husbands in 1 Peter chapter 3? Husbands, grant your wives honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers won't be hindered. If we're not right with people, our prayer life hindered. Christians sometimes hang on to grudges. Hmm. I don't like him or her. I'm just That's the way I feel about them. I don't like them. I don't plan to be their friend. I don't plan to get right with them. Well, then you don't really ever really plan on having a personal powerful prayer life with God, do you? You see, your relationship with other people affects that. If there are people you're satisfied to be at enmity with and hold grudges and unforgiveness and, and you're just satisfied to live that way, then you're never going to have prayer life you ought to have until you deal with that first. Right? That can get kind of personal, can it? Well, let's talk about here recently, and this, this is why it will be nothing new to you. We talked recently about the Lord's Prayer. Really, I said it ought to be the disciples' prayer over there in Matthew chapter 6. I want to talk about the do's and don'ts of praying. Look at what Jesus said there. Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do's and don'ts of patterns in praying. What would be one of the don'ts? What would be one of the don'ts? Don't pray for show. Sometimes back in Jesus' day, uh, whether it was fasting or praying or giving, giving, they would do it. What was their motive? To be seen. When some of the leaders would give large gifts in the synagogues or the temple, they'd have it announced. Or when they were going to pray, the Jews, of course, observed different times of prayer. And so they would plan their trips into Jerusalem. So they would arrive at a busy corner or a busy area of town at one of those times of prayer. And they would stop and go through a prayer ritual in order to be seen. Now, what did Jesus say about that? What if you pray in order to be seen or heard? You got your reward. You got what you were after. Men might praise you. They might pat you on the back. They might go home and talk about how beautiful so-and-so prays or whatever. You got your reward from men. You got what you were after. Don't expect anything from God. Right? What was another don't that he gave here? Praying with what? Many words or vain repetitions, right? Now, you need to understand what Jesus is forbidding and not forbidding here. He's not saying that we can't have a burden on our heart that you go to God over and over and over with that burden. Maybe you're praying for a spouse who is lost or a child that's lost. And it's just so heavy on your heart. You go before God, you pray for them, pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. Is this forbidding that? Uh-uh. The, the pagans of Jesus' day and of ancient times would have little incantations and formulas that they would offer to their false deities. And they thought somehow or another if they, if they just kept putting certain phrases and sentences together certain ways, it almost kind of like you with a combination lock, that they, you'd finally dial up the right combination and your deity would say, Aha! And answer your prayer. Well, do Christians need to have that kind of attitude that we've got to go before God, that we go before God that somehow or another doesn't really want to have a relationship with us to begin with and, and we have to dial up certain combinations with Him and by dialing up those combinations with Him, finally we get a hold on Him and He says, well, I guess i got to answer that petition. They hit on the right combination. No. Jesus said, your father's eager for that relationship with you. He wants those open lines of communication. He's happy 
to hear the request of his children. You can have the conviction as you go before God that you don't have to have this mentality that the pagans with their false deities had. I think of those prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel, how they were crying out to, to Baal and cutting themselves and dancing around and, and, and figuring somehow or another if they did all the right things, Baal was going to answer. And Elijah was back there. You can almost picture Elijah laughing, right? <laughs> Is he asleep? He's gone on a journey? Is he in the bathroom? I mean, that's what Elijah says, doesn't he? We don't have to think that we dial up God like some combination lock with vain repetition, certain words and formulas and phrases. Well, what's the do's of praying? Keep it between you and God. Go in your inner room. Shut the door. Again, he's not forbidding public prayer. The early church prayed publicly. Jesus prayed publicly. 1 Timothy 2. Paul tells us when we gather, let there be public prayers for our national leaders. The Bible's not forbidding public praying but it ought to be an outgrowth of what we do in our private prayer closet. That's where the meat and potatoes of our prayer life is, right there, right? In our, in our private prayer closet between us and God. Besides, if it's between us and God in your private prayer closet, guess what's removed? What's removed out of the picture? Pride. And that you're doing anything for show. Because nobody's there. It's just you and God. Nobody's watching. So keep it between you and God. Believe that God cares. Verse 8. What he says here in verse 8. You don't have to wear God out. He says, do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then he talks about these patterns when we pray. And notice these petitions, how they're balanced. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the first half. What's the second half? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, the, the point of this prayer is not that we just go in church and recite it every week, but it shows us patterns in our praying. What do we need to keep in mind first as we go before God? God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. What do we do most time? Most times we go before God. Give me this, give me that, give me this. I need this, so-and-so needs this, give me this, give me this. Are we supposed to pray for man's needs? Sure we are. But we need to keep God's name, God's will, God's kingdom a priority in our praying. Think about our praying in church. Just stop and think about our praying in church a minute. Think about your Sunday school class. Think about prayer times, maybe in choir or in the chapel on Wednesday nights. 
How much praying do we do for the advancement of the kingdom of God, for souls to be saved, for our lives to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit? How much do we usually pray for things like that? A lot of times we're just praying for hearts and kidneys and stuff, right? Again, those are needs, and he plainly tells us here about needs. But again, as we are thinking about our prayer life, think about God's name being held in highest esteem, His name being hallowed. Does society today hallow the name of God? No. What are people doing? Cursing the name of God. Think of how vile society has become, even the way people throw God's name around. We need to be praying that God's name would be hallowed, that His will would be done on earth, that His kingdom would come, that men's eyes and ears and hearts would be open to the gospel. Praying things like that. Read some of the prayers of the New Testament and what they prayed for. Wow, what lessons those are. And then there's give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Martin Luther said when you're praying for the daily bread, he commented that this petition for God to provide our daily bread could likewise encompass a healthy body, good weather, home, a family, as well as food. Because if our daily needs weren't met and we were suffering when it related to our needs, it'd be, it'd be pretty hard to be able to focus in on anything else, right? I mean, if you were starving to death, it'd be hard to focus on anything really beyond getting that next meal. So again, needs are important. And we need to pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. How? As we also have forgiven our debtors. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgives, but he also expects us to forgive. Those who know him, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. We ought to be willing and eager to forgive those around us, right? Remember that parable Jesus told in in Matthew 18 about the guy who'd been forgiven like $20 million in today's monetary terms but then he went out and found a fellow servant who owed him 20 bucks that he wouldn't forgive that guy 20 bucks he'd just been forgiven 20 million dollars and that's sometimes how we are isn't it we go before God and we want God to forget we want to we want to be saved and go to heaven and we want God working in our lives But then old brother Bill or sister Sue over there has done a little something against us. We don't want to forgive them, right? Little itty bitty things. And yet we expect God to forgive us. All this magnitude that he's forgiven us of. And then we want to keep accounts on everybody else around us. That's an insult to God, isn't it? How we keep accounts on one another. Boy, if you don't toe the line, I'll make a mental note of 
that. It's, it's sad that Christians can act that way. And the inconsistency in it. We want bucketfuls of blessing from God, but we don't even want a, a trickle to somebody else if we don't like them or something, right? And so Jesus says, forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who have debts towards us. So the pattern in praying here, you don't do it for show. You don't do it thinking you got to dial up some right combination with God or He won't hear you. This conviction that He doesn't care about you unless you dial up this right combination. And you go before Him with balance. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will, as well as man's needs. Think about both in your prayer time. Is there balance in your prayer life? This, this is a, a plea for some type of balance in our prayer lives. And then one last thing I want to talk to you about tonight is power in our praying. Go through the book of Acts, do a study on the early church praying, when they prayed, what happened there. I tell you what, that's an interesting study. But there in Acts chapter 4 verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, does anybody remember the context of that verse? Do you remember what had happened leading up to Acts chapter 4? Hmm? Okay, after, right after Pentecost, what happened? There's an event that caused quite a stir that happened. Hmm? Okay, but, but right after that, Quite, a, quite an event that caused a stir happened. What was it? The healing of the lame man at the temple. Right? What did the authorities do? Yes. The, the authorities arrested them, right? And then they, they, were, they got released and went and reported everything to the church. And what did the church body do? Did they despair? No. They prayed. They prayed. And, and it says right here, and when they had prayed, today, think about humanism. It says man's good and getting better, able to solve his own problems by his own intellect and ability. Doesn't need God. That's how a lot of people think today. Folks, we may have advanced as far as technology is concerned, but man's heart is emptier than ever before. The early church had none of the conveniences and comforts and technologies we have today, 
But boy, what a powerhouse that early church was because they prayed, they poured out their hearts before God and they trusted in God, they waited on God. It's been said that before you talk to men about God, first of all, talk to God about men. Before you go out to the world, go into God. And that's the conviction the early church had. That the church moves forward on her knees. Jesus said, my father's house shall be house of prayer. They were a praying church. In chapter 1, they prayed while they waited on that next step to take. And replacing Judas. In chapter 2, they prayed as part of their regular fellowship together. Chapter 2, verse 42. Chapter 4, here they are praying when they faced a crisis. And this prayer was united. Verse 24, they were in one accord. You didn't know Hondas were in the Bible, right? They were all in one accord. They were together. They were fervent. It says they raised their voices. In verse 24, they, they were believing. Sovereign Lord. Look at what they said. Back up, back up in, in verse 24. It says when they heard it, th this report about the authorities and what they charged them with and all, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak, to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Listen to those affirmations they made in their prayer. That God made everything, that He's sovereign. That God's sovereignty was even displayed there at Calvary. Calvary was God's doing, God's plan from the foundation of the world. They're also affirming here not only that God's sovereign, but that God speaks and that God acts. What are they doing here? They're, they're praying the same principles sort of along the lines of that first part of the Lord's Prayer, right? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I mean, they're praying, they're just affirming here about God's sovereignty and the advancement of God's kingdom. And then what happened? The power. Look at verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was what? Shaken. What was the order? When did the power of God show up? After the saints prayed. We want power in our lives. We want power in our churches. We want power in our crusades. But we want to skip prayer. I mean think of the illustration Jim used this morning about uh, Spurgeon. 
I had I'd read that same thing that Spurgeon, when somebody wanted to come and find out the secret to Spurgeon's church and the influence they were having, he carried them to the prayer room. That was the powerhouse. Yes. I'm not sure. He may have. And folks, what a blessing for the people of God to be praying for your preacher before he preaches the word. Right? The power fell after they prayed. It ought to be a rebuke to our prayerlessness today. And in the presence, we see how God's presence became evident among them when they prayed. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the proclamation, God opened their mouths and strengthened their witness. Said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Doesn't say just James and John and Peter, says all of them. All of them. They were faced with this threat, this crisis. They went before God, recognizing the sovereignty of God. God speaks, God moves, God acts. And their dependency on God to help them, the power of God showed up on the scene. And they went out and spoke with even greater boldness. That's power in prayer, isn't it? That, that daily feeling. We, we have the Holy Spirit when we're saved, baptized with the Spirit when we're saved and sealed and be, become in God's family. And then that daily feeling that, we, feeling that we need in our individual lives and then God filling the, the corporate body. It's power. But power in prayer. Prayer is so basic to the Christian life. Bible reading and prayer. You don't get any more foundational than those two things right there. Bible reading and prayer. Two things we've been talking about for the past four weeks. Basic. Folks, if Bible reading and prayer is not a part of your Christian life, I mean, you're, you're, you're missing out on some very foundational steps. Very foundational. You don't get any more foundational than that. Too often times, I don't know if it's because it's so simple or so evident that we ought to be doing it or we get so familiar with it or what it is. So oftentimes we, we skip just those basic steps. And we can never get away from the basics. I don't care if you've been a Christian 60 years. Bible reading and prayer needs to be a regular part of your Christian life. Always learning, 
always growing, always depending on God, always communicating with God, breathing, inhaling and exhaling, Bible study and prayer, Bible study and prayer, Bible study and prayer, and growing in our prayer life, not just praying that, God, I got the flu this week, help me to feel better. Again, that's important. But getting to the point also in our, in our prayer lives that we pray for things that God is doing on the earth. Inhaling and exhaling, Bible study and prayer. Have you gotten away from those basics? If you have, make sure this week, don't start out with an hour and a half. You'll grow frustrated. Five or ten minutes. Bible reading and prayer. And maybe next week it'll be ten minutes, fifteen. Finally, you just kind of, the clock just kind of goes by in your Bible reading and prayer, doesn't it? Look at the prayers in the Bible, the New Testament. Find those prayers and see what they prayed for. Jot down some of their petitions and incorporate those petitions into your prayer life. Just about all the letters of Paul, right after he just initially greets the church that he's writing to, he, he, he states some kind of prayer that he's praying for them. Jot down some of those petitions and start praying those petitions. Praying biblically. There's power in praying. And remember, back to where I started tonight, everything in our prayer life, making that connection with God, and the confidence that we can have in prayer is based on on the finished work of Christ. We're coming up on the Easter season when we celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we tend to think only in terms of how that dealt with our sin. And, and obviously it did, but we stopped there. But even our prayer life, our access to God and the confidence that we can have before God in our daily prayer life. Every day we go before God in prayer. Just that recognition, if it wasn't for Jesus, I would have no access to God. None. He's opened the way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's not just speaking of salvation. But even as we go before God in prayer, nobody goes to the Father but by me. And so prayer, if you will, is a celebration or a recognition of the finished work of Christ. Amen? Any comments, any questions?
I know our time's been up about five minutes, but I'm supposed to keep y'all 7.15. Those who keep the little people try to finish up about 7.15. But anyway, questions, comments? Amen. Excellent practice. Um, saying how every day she goes before God and just says, God, just re- reveal. To, she wants a clean slate. Reveal my heart to me if there's something you're not pleased with. Reminds me of Psalm 139. What did David say? Search me and try me and see. Excuse me, Psalm 51. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Search my heart, God. Search my heart. God, you, you shine your searchlight on my heart and if there's something you see I need to deal with, you make that known to me. Because sometimes we misjudge ourselves, don't we? Again, as he said this morning out of Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can trust it? Sometimes we think everything's okay and God God wants to point out something in our lives. So keeping a short leash on sin, God, search my heart, try me, and and reveal to me what you would have me to know about my heart because I want to be clean before you. Yes. Yes. T.W. Hunt in the mind of Christ. Has anybody ever done the study the mind of Christ? Anybody? He talks about that in the mind of Christ. How he would always fret about daily necessities in his life. And one day, the Lord got a hold of him about that. And he started, he realized he needed to put God first every day. And he said, all these things I'd been worrying about, suddenly everything just started falling into place. All these things about my life that I had magnified so much and worried about them. When I put God's, when I tended to God's business, he started tending to my business. <laughs> 